Father, we are, we are uh, so faithless, and you are so faithful. Look at us. It's, it's, it's just hard for us even to give ourselves to you, our, our maker and our king and our husband in worship, uh, because we just, our hearts are hard, and we, we are just desperately in need of you to come and, and do your work that can only be done through your love and your grace and your mercy and your power which is to soften and break up our hard hearts, to melt them, to remove these hearts of stone, to give us hearts of flesh again, um, to open our eyes and our minds and our hearts again to your redeeming love, to our need for a savior, to our need for a redeemer and your willingness and your completion of being that redeemer for us and giving us new life in you. Lord, let us walk in this new life. Let us... Now in this place, as we worship you through song and through your word, uh, would you keep your promise to us from one degree of glory to another to make us more like you? And Lord, I pray that today would be, before we leave this place, would be uh, a few degrees more like Jesus, that you would change us. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Y'all can have a seat. So before I came to Midtown, I was a pastor on staff at a, a church in Knoxville. And one of my responsibilities as pastor of discipleship there was to resuscitate the men's ministry at this church. And so we had this men's event for where we were talking about sexual sin. We were talking about sexual brokenness. And so I, it wasn't intentionally like a, a gotcha email, but I sent an email to all the men of our church and in, the, and in the headline, it, it said um, something to the effect of, I, I tried to find it, but I couldn't find it, but it said something to the effect of, you know, event for sexually broken people like you. And so I got a call the next week after this email came out from a very well-respected older man in our congregation. And as soon as I answered the phone, he says, are you Matt Avery? And I said, yeah. And he said, are you the one that sent this email to me about being a sexual sinner? And I said, yeah. And he said, who gave you my name? <laughs> I said, excuse me? He said, who told you to put me on that list? And I said, you just did, really, with your reaction. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I just said, well, sir, let me explain. I said, that email actually went out to every man in our congregation because every man is a human. And we believe that after the fall, every part of us is tainted and broken by sin, including our sexuality. And so that's why you've received this email. And he said, oh, click. <laughs> And uh, that's kind of where we're going today, is uh, like this man who cared very deeply about his sexual sin being exposed, but not at all for the right reasons. Um, Jesus has something to say to us about God's commands for sexual purity and, and why they matter and taking them deeper than, than maybe we had ever thought that they applied. And so we're, we're continuing this series, Thy Kingdom Come, where we are as a kingdom of priests, the first place in scripture where God calls his people a kingdom of priests is right 
before the giving of the Ten Commandments. And so as a kingdom of priests, um, he's saying these commandments are pathways. These are the pathways that you and I are going to walk together um, as priests. And this is how you become close with me. And this is how you draw others into that closeness. And so today, we are looking at the seventh commandment. And uh, it, it comes from Exodus 20, verse 14. And it, it is this, very simple. You shall not commit adultery. And uh, like the rest of the series, we're, we're going to let Jesus flesh out this commandment a little more for us. And so to do that, we're going to go to John 8, verses 1 through 11. And some of y'all, maybe everybody has a note in their Bible that this passage has said the earliest manuscripts don't contain this passage. And I just want to say really quickly on that, um, whether we, we have good reason to believe that this should be included, but um, even if it shouldn't be, uh, it is entirely in sync with Jesus's character and the, the rest of God's word and what it teaches. So um, this is John 1, or excuse me, John 8, 1 through 11. They went each way to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst of all the people, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women, so what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. And so where we're going today is we're going to talk about adultery. And then we're going to talk about adultery. And then we're going to talk about faithfulness and wholeness. And so first, talking about adultery, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Caught in the act. So think about that. That's an interesting scenario. She was doing something evil. Sometimes this, this story gets recounted in a way where she's just like this innocent victim, but that's not who this woman was. She was doing something evil. She was breaking the command of God. She was probably breaking up a family. Um, some of y'all's families have been broken by marital unfaithfulness. Some of y'all have done the breaking yourselves, and you know this is evil. This is not okay. And God cares very deeply about this. This is not how people were made in his image. This is not who God is. This is not his character. And so he, he commands us, you shall not commit adultery. And the scribes and the Pharisees are feeling really good about themselves at this point. They've got this woman red-handed. They're feeling pretty self-righteous, and they bring her to Jesus. And uh, when you feel very self-righteous compared to another person, that's a very dangerous place to be. 
And we have to stop there and realize that in this story, God is telling us that the persons whose souls are in the most danger of destruction are actually these men who have not been caught in adultery, who are feeling pretty good about themselves. Not this woman who is probably standing there maybe wearing something draped around her, very publicly, very dramatically and emphatically exposed in her sin to the world. And Jesus is saying she is actually not the one whose soul is in the most danger right now. You need to be more concerned about self-righteousness than the sexual sin. And so remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27, in his Sermon on the Mount, he starts to talk, he, he unfurls more of what these commandments are, the heart of God's commands. And he says, you've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but let me actually explain what God was really getting at here. And just like the rest of the commandments, God was really getting at loving God with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, everything that you have, and loving your neighbor as yourself. He was getting at your purity. He was getting at your faithfulness. He was getting at your heart. And so if you even look at someone who is not your covenant spouse with lustful intent, you have committed adultery in your heart. So in other words, you, like the man who received the email from me, you and I are all adulterers. Based on Jesus' definition. But Jesus' definition, we're, we're only hitting at one aspect of adultery. And so, so now we're going to move into another kind of adultery. To understand this story, we have to understand something else that Jesus' definition, even in the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't fully grasp all of what there is uh, to be told about adultery and why God cares so deeply about it. Certainly, we should not treat each other that way. Certainly, when we make a covenant relationship with somebody else to be their husband or wife, we need to take that very seriously. And we need to honor that covenant, and we need to treat this other person with love and faithfulness. But also, this is, a, this is not just a commandment that has to do with other human relationships. This is very a commandment that's very deeply embedded in, in God's relationship with us as his people. Marriage is a picture and a play, a living play of God's love for his people. In Ephesians 5, Paul says that the, this mystery, this mystery of what marriage is, is profound. And I'm telling you that it refers to Christ and the church. When we see a husband laying down his life to love his wife, when we see a wife respecting her husband and laying down her life to love him, we are seeing a picture, Paul is saying, of God's relationship with his people. And that's not a new idea from Paul. Back, all the way back in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah said this, your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And that makes us, his people, his wife. And so the question for us is how faithful have we been from our heart to our maker and husband? Well, it's not good. It's really not good at all. In Jeremiah 3.20, Jeremiah says this to God's people, 
Surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so have you been treacherous to me, O house of Israel. And this is why in our passage in John 8, Jesus doesn't say to these people, let him who is without sexual sin be the first to throw a stone at this woman. That's not what he says. He says, let him who is without sin, without any sin, because now we're talking about a different kind of adultery. We are talking about breaking God's law and breaking our covenant with our God and covenant-making and keeping husband. We've all broken this marriage covenant with God, and it really doesn't matter how we break it. We're not getting grades. Um, think about that in marriage. I mean, would anyone ever be able to say with a straight face, like, it's no big deal, it was just a little bit of adultery. <laughs> and it, it, it wasn't that kind of adultery, right? At least it wasn't with a prostitute. That's, that's really dirty. At least it was with another self-respecting person. Or at least it was with a prostitute. And it, it wasn't, there's was no heart or emotion connected with it. No, nobody, hopefully, would ever be so blind to think that that's not going to be a problem. James 2.10 says this, Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. You know, one of the most disappointing things I, I ever heard in seminary, and this will not be helpful in, in you putting your faith in the, the seminary process to prepare pastors. <laughs> um, sorry, Andrew. <laughs> but uh, I'll never forget this, and I'll never get over this because it bothered me so deeply, and I'm just as guilty of saying stuff like this too, so I don't want to paint my picture, myself uh, a rosier picture than is, is reality, but... Uh, this guy who was a pastor, who was a guest lecturer at one of our classes, our class on leadership, um, he came in and he was talking about how one day in his sermon, he mentioned something about drug addiction. And he said that there was a guy who, who and apparently he made it very clear that that was not anything that he could identify with. And so he said one of his people came up to him after the sermon and said, you know, essentially, I was just really bothered by the way that you spoke to us about this without any vulnerability or, or any ability to see yourself as someone who could possibly go down this road or who even has gone down this road in, uh, in, in other ways. And he got this look on his face as he was talking to us about this, and it was just so proud. And he got this little smirk on his face, and he said, you know, and I just told the guy, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but there are just some categories of sin that I don't struggle with. Hmm. Is that so? <laughs> because let's, let's think about addiction here. Let's think about um, all the things that our hearts are addicted to. And, and the blindness to not be able to see that bridge was really alarming to me. And the joy with which he shared that, that he was refusing to acknowledge uh, his oneness with people who struggle with all kinds of sin was very alarming to me. And that's um, what's alarming to us about the, these men in this passage. And so we have to stop here and think, okay, where am I being like these men? Where am I holding someone else up before 
Jesus or before a crowd like the Wizard of Oz and saying, look at their sin. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Look at their sin. Don't look at my sin. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you're in this place, you are not okay. And your soul is in a very dangerous state. And you need to cry out to me and ask me to help you lay that down. And the crazy thing about this is these men are holding this woman in front of Jesus as they are saying, this woman has been caught in adultery. They are in the act of committing adultery themselves as those words are spilling out of their mouth. What do I mean when I say that? This place is full of people who are trying to listen to Jesus and trying to learn from him. And these people are trying to trap Jesus because they are tired of the people listening to him, they want them to listen to them. And so we are parading this woman in front of everyone to disrupt this marriage covenant of these people with their God, with their husband, because we wanna be the adulterer and bring the attention to ourselves. Not to mention they're breaking their own marriage covenant and being unfaithful by having other gods and not sitting and listening to their husband themselves. They are not giving their devotion to him and they are stealing the devotion or are trying to, to steal the affection and devotion of everybody else in that crowd. They're trying to destroy Jesus. That's how blind they were in their sin and they're trying to destroy much less not be devoted to their, their husband. So please don't get this wrong. Jesus in this passage is not making light of sexual sin at all. It is very serious. But what he's doing is exposing a much deeper and more destructive kind of adultery. And so now we need to talk about faithfulness. These men who brought this woman to Jesus would not be the kind of men I would venture to guess that I would want to hang out with on the weekends. <laughs> uh, I don't think they're a good time. But they do raise a very, very important question for us. A very serious issue. And all of our collective fates hang in the balance to Jesus' ability to answer this question. The law of Moses commanded us to stone women like this. What do you say? And here's what they're asking. The law of God commanded that those found to have committed adultery shall die. It says it in Deuteronomy 22. But Jesus is, is walking around talking about forgiving people's sins. And this tension is not new with Jesus. This tension existed all the way back forever since, since God's people have been adulterous people. All throughout the prophets, all the prophets in the Old Testament, it's the same tension that they're wrestling with in every single one of these prophecies is, God, you are telling us, even sometimes in the very same chapter, that everyone who sins, including your people, because you are not a God who plays favorites, will be destroyed. And you're telling us in the very same chapter that if we repent, we will be saved. And no one can take your people away from you. 
So which is it? And that's what these people are asking. Which is it? Is it justice? Is it God's law? Or is it forgiveness and mercy? Because we're having a really hard time seeing how these two things can fit together. God is holy, 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 and he cannot abide with sin. But he also talks an awful lot about being covenantally faithful to his people as our husband who will never leave us. And so in Jesus' life, he is modeling this covenant-keeping faithfulness of our husband. Because what he does in this passage is what he does with all of us. Jesus is the only one without sin. When everyone else lets go of their stones and walks away, he is the only one standing there with this woman. And you know what? He could have picked up a stone and killed her on the spot and been totally justified to do it because he is without sin. He is God. She is deserving of God's wrath. But he didn't. What did he do? Instead of using his righteousness to pick up a stone and execute justice on the sinners, he covered her in his righteousness and took the stones on his back. That's the kind of God that we have. That is the kind of savior that we have. That's the kind of husband that we have. That when we have been unfaithful, he covers us with his faithfulness. That's amazing. And again, not only that, it's not, it's not just that. That is enough. That is more than enough. But it's not just that we have been unfaithful and he covers us in his faithfulness. It's also that we are condemning him in our sin. It's even worse than we want to admit. It's that this very God, this perfect, holy God who loves us, who is our husband, who is our savior, who has come to save us, we are so evil and so backwards and so twisted and so adulterous that we are trying to condemn him as he is trying to save us. Matthew 20, 17 and 18 says this, is Jesus telling his disciples, we are going to Jerusalem and the son of man is going to be delivered over to the scribes and chief priests and they will condemn him to death. And because he was condemned by sinful people like us, we don't have to face condemnation anymore. Listen to this, Romans 8, 1 through 4. There is therefore, because of Jesus being condemned, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. All of that sin from the beginning of time and to this day to the end of time was condemned in the flesh by God, but not our flesh. It was condemned in the flesh of Jesus who took all of our sin into himself so that God could condemn the sin in him so that we could be set free so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Or what about this, John three sixteen and through 18. God so loved the world with his covenant love, with the love of a husband, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him because whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he hasn't believed in the name of Jesus. And why is this so important? Because our sin, especially our sexual sin, we, we are tempted to think that it is our sexual sin that keeps us from God. God does not want to have anything to do with me because I'm a sinner. Because look at all these gross things that I do and continue to do. Look at all these gross thoughts that I think and these terrible things that I say. God couldn't possibly want to have anything to do with me. But Jesus is really clear here. And so, so is the Apostle John in this passage that I just read. Your sexual sin, my sexual sin, is not keeping us from Jesus. Jesus is not keeping you from Jesus. Your pride and your unbelief are keeping you from Jesus. He is saying, I have made a way. When you are standing in front of me, draped in some sheet, because you have just been caught, and you are so afraid, and you are so ashamed, and you are so full of guilt, even in that moment, you can still run to me because look at who I am and look at what I do. So if anything is keeping you from this love of God in Jesus, it's not him and it's not your sin or at least it's not that kind of sin. Uh, it's you not being able to believe him when he says that this is true. And so he is pleading with you, I am pleading with you to take him at his word, to believe that there is nothing, nothing left to separate you from him. That is his call to us. And that's where he is leading us. He's leading us to wholeness. Jesus doesn't just come to save us from condemnation. He comes to give us wholeness now. All of our adulterous ways all of our days are a result of feeling lack, a result of, of not feeling whole, of having this deep awareness that I am not whole. There is something out there that I need that I don't have. This love, this beauty, this desire, this fullness, this longing, it needs to be satisfied. And Jesus is saying, you just, you're right, but you've just been looking in the wrong place. Um, I am the satisfaction of all of those desires. And when you place all of those desires on me, you will be satisfied. You will be whole. I am making you new. When you commit yourself to me and do not commit adultery against me, your husband, you will be whole. So take heart. Because no matter how painful any of our experiences are or have been with the exposure of our adultery, um, just like this woman, I mean, we, we don't have to talk. I don't have to argue to you how painful this was for her, this moment. But it was actually really good for her because she got to come face to face with her Lord and Savior and hear the way that he talks to her in her sin. And that's the same for us. Y'all, when we are exposed in our sin, 
That's actually really good news for us because God is freeing us from that sin and he is, we get to hear his voice speak to us even in, in the places where we are most ashamed and hear the way that he talks to us. And it sounds like this. This is from Romans 8. What then shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God has already shown his love for us like this in Christ, then why do I need to worry about what anybody else thinks? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Wholeness. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died and who was raised, who is at the right hand of God interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? No one. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, I got to experience this. I've gotten to experience this multiple times of people putting on flesh and revealing this truth to me in very powerful ways. But uh, one of the first times I can remember that was I came to faith about halfway through college, and it was kind of in this first year of, of coming to faith that coming summer I was going to work at this camp, this Christian summer camp, where you have to sign a contract saying that you're not going to engage in these kinds of behaviors for that year leading up to your time working there in the summer. And I was really rough around the edges. And so we get to that summer and we have a talk that night where they bring up the contract and say, you know, hey, these are the things that we asked you not to engage in. And man, I was just broken. I was broken and I was so... Uh, ashamed and so scared that this beautiful place where I was getting to experience Christian community for the first time in a new way, uh, I was going to have to just pack up and leave. And so the guy who was my camp director, this guy, Chris Cooper, man, a few words. Um, I came and found him after that talk and I couldn't even hardly talk to him about what I needed to talk to him about because just the tears were coming. And uh, I just get emotional thinking about it. But I said, Coops, I need to talk to you. And he said, what is it? I said, um, <laughs> I broke that contract a lot. And uh, if you want me to leave, I'll leave. And he just put his hand on my shoulder and he said, well, Matt, are you doing any of those things now? I said, no, 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 no. And he said, okay. And he just patted me on the shoulder and walked off. And that's the last we ever talked about it. And just the, the freedom that comes from knowing that, that I've been loved, I've been forgiven, is, is this man, Chris Cooper, putting Jesus' skin on and, and sharing with me this kind of love that our husband has for us. It's what Jesus is saying to this woman. He says, um, I don't condemn you either because I came to save you. And so now in our wholeness, um, that's how we get to wholeness, is, is we know that we're safe in this covenant love. And I want you to look at, this is the last thing I want to share with you, is, is what he talks about here at the end. He says, neither do I condemn you. And then he says, go, and from now on, sin no more. And what he's saying there is, as you go, as you go in my grace and in my love, 
that is what's gonna set you free to sin no more. Is when you, when you live in the reality that that is how I feel about you, that I, am, I have taken all of your sin away and there is nothing that can threaten my love for you or ever make me leave you. That is the power to sin no more because you will be experiencing wholeness in me. You will be experiencing the safety of this kind of marriage, this covenant keeping marriage between you and I. And that is what we need is a daily going out, a daily remembering of this mercy and grace and love. And that is what is gonna turn us away from all of our adulterous ways to wholeness with our, with our husband. And so um, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us as Midtown? I'm gonna speak to you to Midtown West. What does this mean for us as Midtown West? What well, means that we can be people who like the older, wiser men in this passage are the first to drop their stones. It means that we are people who can be very honest and very in touch with our adultery and our need for a savior. And what that's gonna do is that's gonna free everybody else to drop their stones too. Just like the younger men in this passage watch the older men drop their stones and walk away. When we live like this, that's gonna free us to live in the reality of our need for a savior so that we can accept Jesus as our savior. It means we get to be Chris Cooper to one another. Because as we go and as we continue to sin, we are gonna need powerful reminders, physical reminders of somebody putting their hand on our shoulder, looking us in the eye and saying, Jesus loves you. And he, his love for you is not diminished by what you said, thought, or did. You are loved. And it is that covenant love that is gonna set you free. And so we are reminding one another of that love all the time. And it's also gonna mean that we can invite anybody and everybody that we come into contact with to meet this Jesus because we know how he's gonna talk to them. We know that when we bring the, the wildest and craziest, the most hurting people to him, uh, that we can trust that he's gonna talk to them with great tenderness and he is gonna bring them wholeness. And then they get to be a part of our family. So let's go this week in, in that power that he gives us through his love to be whole. Father, thank you for your love. You were so faithful when we were faithless. Lord, it is so hard to believe. It is so easy for me to run back and think that your love for me depends on my love for you. And when, when my love for you is little, then your love for me is little. And that's what makes me wanna run off into all of my adulterous ways. So Father, give us the faith, give us the, the courage, give us the, just the clarity of sight to see your love for us and let that love set us free and do your good work of releasing your rivers of living water through us and in us so that we can be whole in you. And ask that in Jesus' name, amen.